Let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We are going to pick up studying the second letter that Jesus addresses or has John addressed to seven churches there in Turkey. Last week was, and the week before actually, was the church in Ephesus. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the church in Smyrna. Each of these letters... We want to make sure that we understand what the application should be. Um, Number one, we should say, hey, what did he want said? What was it that he specifically wanted to be said to the church in Ephesus or Smyrna, Thyatira, those living um, in around 95 AD? Okay, we're going to learn what he had to say to them. But then we also noted that there's something about each one of these churches in particular that seems to identify with a period in church history. And so the Lord has something to say to the church over its history. And we we bring application um, to that. And then specifically, because each of these letters, they end with he who has an ear. And we're not talking about these things sticking off the side of our head. He who has an ear to hear means your heart and your mind. He who is attentive, let him hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to him or her. I was sitting down with my family recently and I was noticing around the restaurant uh, a few times, but one time I said, what... Look at everybody reaching for their phone in the restaurant. And I thought, man, when we, when we get together, personally as a family, I, I can't get enough of my girls as I'm getting older and my grandkids. I'm like, I don't want, no, I don't want to compete with anything else. I want, I want dad time and grandpa time. And right now, the Holy Spirit wants Holy Spirit time. And I go, what, what? And I was noticing this one table, and they just kept reaching for their phones and reaching their phones, and ding, 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 ding. It's like, this is dinging. <laughs> and my daughter's, oh, well, they, they, they need to turn off their notifications. And I'm like, what is that? And I'm not a social media person. I don't know all that. But you, you who follow all that, you know, oh, yeah. And, I, and they told me you could go to your phone and you could turn off notifications. I'm like, that's like a gift from the throne of God these days. You know what I did? I got on my phone and I Googled, what is notifications on a smartphone? The first thing that came out, I memorized it. This feature turned off will save you from becoming addicted to your phone. All right. We used to put up here, before I would teach, silence all cell phones. Why? Because we felt that there might be people in this room that need to hear what the Spirit is saying. And and a distraction alone from someone else's phone might hinder them from what the Spirit has said. But then I started thinking, I wonder if people are like that, like I, I can't miss out on anything even when I'm in the house of God listening to the Spirit of God. I need to be notified May you this morning, if that's you, may you be freed from your phone and may the Holy Spirit have more of your attention. Amen? Amen. Let's turn off all the other notifications. Let's turn on his. What's he want to notify Lance and say? 
The church in Smyrna. Remember the three wise men they brought to Jesus, gold and frankincense and? Yeah. It speaks of bitterness. They used it as embalming for embalming methods. The city itself was about 35 miles north from Ephesus. So we're not far from Ephesus. It boasted a huge seaport. It had a major theater, major stadium. It had about 500,000 residents. They had their pagan gods, their Roman gods, their Greek gods. But they also were really known for their, their worship of Caesar. We greet each other in different ways around here. Good morning. God bless you in Israel. It's shalom. But in the Roman Empire in those days, if you were a devout Roman citizen and you were paying homage to Caesar, you would say, Caesar is Lord. And then another Roman citizen would greet you and say, Caesar is Lord. Once a year, at the end of the year, we would even go. It would be part of what we do as a Roman citizen. And we would bring incense or, or something to sacrifice and burn in worshiping a man, Caesar. The Jews... Living in the area of Smyrna, a lot of history, well, it tells us that there were many Jews that lived there. And the, the Jews, because of the size of their population, they had a hall pass on that. They didn't necessarily be forced to have to do all of that Caesar worship and the pagan worship. They had this large population, and they, were, they had a hall pass. But there was a group of people in Smyrna that everyone else, all of the pagans, all of the Gentiles, and Jews who didn't yet put their faith in Jesus as Messiah, despised. And they were converts. They were the followers of Jesus Christ. The one thing that they really had in common was persecution. They suffered. Each of these churches represent a church age. The church in Ephesus represented that era of time, beginning with the disciples following Jesus through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, until their death. The church in Ephesus represents that era, has something to say to those people specifically in that letter, if you will, to the church in Ephesus. Each one of these letters take Part of the picture of Jesus in chapter 1 in his glorified form. And they assign it to a specific church. To Ephesus that represents that, that apostolic age. Jesus was presented to them in the first seven verses of chapter 2 here. As one that is in the midst of them. That was really important, the son of man that is in the midst of them. They needed to remember that. And that, that era, that first church era, the apostolic era, they needed to remember that. We, we move into the second era. What is it that Jesus wanted to say? What part of him in chapter 1 did they need to, to remember? Because each depiction of him in chapter 1 was something that they were neglecting. And so in, in chapter 2, we're going to look at this particular Christians, these, these, these Christians that were being persecuted and, and beginning to be persecuted and suffer for it. And he's going to like say, look to me as the first and the last. The one who, 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 who lived and died and lives again. We're going to get to that. But it's, it's really important that the second and third generation 
which would be the generation throughout the generations throughout church history that suffered the most, if they would just be able to go back and remember who he is, that he is God, that he is creator God, the one who is alive, he sustains, and the one that offers hope. That's where we're going this morning. Now, when we think about their particular persecution, it was just beginning to intensify. In verse 10, he's going to say, listen, hold on. I know some things about you, but it's going to get worse. And in those, the, the second and third generation of church, church history, in that era, era over six million Christians will be martyred. There's a popular one that was a student of John himself by the name of Polycarp. You read about him in church history. And Polycarp in his, in his 80s, in his mid-80s, like John, an older guy, he would, not, he would not bow down to Rome. So they arrested him. And they tied him to a stake. And they said, if you will not renounce your Christian faith and pay homage to Caesar and, and say that he is God, we're going to light these flames. And he would not. And he said these words, and I quote, Jesus has been faithful to me all these 86 years. How can I become unfaithful to him in my death? And he lit the flames. And he didn't die. So they ran him through with a spear, and his blood extinguished the flames. To everyone's amazement, it was a statement of his faith. The power of God, who sustains his people through life on into eternity. To this church, who would know what it's like to gather and say, oh, it's so good to see the Smiths the Johnsons, the Rodriguez's, you fill in the blank. They had their favorite seats. They, they knew what it was like to drop off their kids in childcare with joy. Finally, we get to drop these kids off. They knew what it was like to walk into a room and worship and have Jesus encounters. But then as the persecution arose, and Jews who despised converted Jews and Gentiles who despised converted Gentiles would sell them out to Rome. And some of us would gather now and oh, it would be a heavy heart because the Smiths aren't here because, well, Mr. Smith was drove away. Mr. Johnson was incarcerated. And the list would go on of those who were put to death. And we would gather now with heavy hearts. But we would gather with great anticipation because it was the one place that we would gather and receive words of encouragement and hope. Seeing you here as you were facing the same opposition I was facing would build my faith. Seeing you not bow would build my faith. You refused to bow to Caesar. It cost you dearly, relationally, financially, physically. But you gathered with me and you built my faith. I gathered with you and your faith was built. And picture what that would be like on this Sunday. Welcome to Smyrna. 
Welcome to church in Smyrna. Picture the pastor walking out with a scroll. <laughs> he's got a different look today. He's, he's smiling. He hadn't smiled in a while, but today he's smiling. And oh, how he holds that scroll. And he's like, church, you're not going to believe this. John has pinned down some words. Pastor John, I've taken his place. You remember John. He, he's the one that used to teach. He's the one that dedicated your kids. He's the one that was before me, but he was arrested. You know where he's at. He's on Patmos. And I would point right towards Catalina. He's out there. But the Holy Spirit spoke, and it's, I'm so excited to read these words. And I would unroll the scroll and put my finger down. And I'd say, Jesus himself appeared to John in a vision. Oh, we've got these really cool letters from Peter and, and from Paul. And, but Jesus himself has some words for you that are facing any kind of opposition, persecution, you that are suffering. And oh, what words they are. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna right. I'd look up. The Holy Spirit had me in mind and wanted me to pen these words or read these words that were penned down by, by John. Let me, hold on. These things, says the first and the last, and was dead and, and, and came to life. Whoa. What a cool introduction that Jesus gives us here. And he knows us. I know your works, the tribulation you're going through, and the poverty, but you're rich. I even know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are, are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You're going to be tested. More tribulation. It has a shelf life, though. Ten days. But be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And so as we look at our world today and we bring this home, how does this apply to me, to us as a church? We... We live in a world that is made up of many different cultures, cultures with different languages and different fashion, different, different diets, different foods, different ways of going about life. And many of these diverse, different ways that define cultures, they, they separate us. There's so many times I'll be traveling in a different country, I wish I knew their language. I wish I could tolerate their food when I go to Mexico sometimes. But the one thing that, 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 that unites mankind is suffering. Grief is grief, whether you're in Japan, Africa, or America. Suffering is suffering no matter what continent you are on. And so we can relate. Oh, it might be extreme, in some cases, as I read through church history, it might be extreme as I read through what's happening in parts of 
the world today as the church is being persecuted, many being put to death. Sorrow is sorrow. Grief is grief. We're united on that plane. As Christians, we're united in how persecution and how suffering, well, how it's unique to us. It's unique to us in ways that that non-believers do not understand. When we suffer, we actually believe God has a specific purpose in allowing that. We see God in it. We see His sovereign plan. We see how He uses persecution and sorrow and suffering to work all things together for good because we are those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. We see how He uses suffering and sorrow, even persecution, to build our faith and to build dependence on Him. In the midst of their suffering, Jesus says, listen up. And for you that might be finding yourself opposed, maybe listening to this, even here, persecuted to some degree for your faith, suffering. The first thing I can't help but just thank the Lord for is he's like, Lance, focus on me. Church, focus on your groom. As the first and the last, Jesus is claiming to be God. That same title that is ascribed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all through the Old Testament and what Jesus claims for himself, claiming deity. In Isaiah, we noted that God was speaking to the pagans and saying, show me your gods. Show me how they strengthen. Show me how they heal. Show me how they call an unrighteous man to righteousness. Show me how they create. But in chapter 41, he would say again, and I quote verse 4, who has performed and done it, calling generations from beginning. I, the Lord, am the first and the last. I am he. You see, when we go through times of sorrow, suffering, or persecution, sometimes the enemy magnifies that. I'm not to, to play down anybody who goes through any of that, but oftentimes the enemy likes to grab a hold of that as well. And, 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 and it just seems so massive, so Mount Everesty. I can't see through it. I can't see over it. So we need perspective. And as they would look at their church and they would look at the Suffering that they were going through and knowing that it would be even getting worse at this particular time, the second wave and third wave of persecution was about to be unleashed. Is there anything that can help me through that? This began, if you are going through any kind of sorrow or suffering, you can usually case in point when it began, if it's big. If it's altered your life, if it's gripped you, held you back, set you down, you can say, this is when it began, and this is what I've had to endure. And if you're still in it, you don't see over that Everest. You don't see through it. Jesus comes along and he says, look at me. I am the one that was before 
that Everest. I am the one that was before Smyrna. I am the one that is before the continent was ever defined as Asia Minor. I am the one that created Asia Minor. I'm the one that is before the earth that Asia Minor happens to find itself making up. I'm the first. Understand who I am, and you will be mindful again of my majesty, my ability, my might. I am the first, and I am the last. I will, I will still be around when your trial is over. I will still be around when you are over. I will still be around when Smyrna is no more. Smyrna is one of those places, by the way, where you can go and there's still a church today. Smyrna is one of the churches here Jesus has nothing negative to say about. Amazing what suffering might do, what it might produce. I'll be around, and that continent is no longer around. Bring that into perspective. It's a personal claim from Jesus that we must all fully understand and fully embrace in order to have hope. I am alive, the one who was dead. This is a, a deep conviction that the early church absolutely held. Oftentimes I'll say it, and I'll say it many more times, our faith is only as good as that in which it is placed. Jesus is reminding them of who he is. I was dead and I am now alive. He is saying, I am the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He's speaking of his incarnation. He's speaking of that time where he became fully man and was still fully God. He's pointing them back to deity. He's pointing them back to his ability. He's pointing them back to his mission, which points to his compassion, which points to his love, which points to the extent of what he will go through in order to help you and help me. I am the one who was dead, the cross, but am alive, the resurrection. I am able, still able, the eternal God. If Jesus were only God, he would have been unable to die on that cross in place of sinful humanity and pay the price for our salvation. If he were only man, the death that he died would have not have been for our salvation or our eternal benefits. His death would have been just the death of another good man, another good martyred man, nothing more. Yet because he died in his incarnate body, as your and mine perfect sacrifice for sin. And because he resurrected to life forevermore, he has the authority and the power to speak hope into your life now and into your life throughout eternity. And he's like, let's start there. That's who I am. Hebrews 4, speaking of Jesus, I believe the writer of Hebrews captures the significance of this, where he's like, we don't 
have a high priest like some of our high priests here when we think of Jesus, who can't sympathize with us and identify with us. No, no, no. He's been tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So let us, let us draw near to him with confidence and, and, and with, with great confidence to the throne room of grace that we might receive mercy and help and grace in time of need. Picture that day as we gather and the hope that would bring to you the lifting of your soul and my soul as we would contemplate those words from Jesus himself. And then to look up and, whoa, oh yeah. Had my eyes on the circumstances, how faith building it is to put my eyes back on him. And then my, my finger moves down the scroll a little bit as the replacement of John, the pastor that we would listen to, and I know your works, your tribulation, and poverty, the blasphemy. I don't know about you, but, but to hear the words from Jesus in the midst of persecution that's mounting and suffering that's growing, and to hear his words, I know. I know, would be, to me, he knows. <laughs> he can relate. I not only see what you're going through is the idea, but I can relate personally to what you are going through. I, I, I know, I see that you're, you're ostracized and minimized. I see weeping of the wife who's lost her husband, the, the children that can't go to sleep at night because dad's no longer there. I see it. I see the pain and the sorrow of those incarcerated. I know the, the pain and the suffering of being rejected at the hands of sinners. I know. And then he would say, I know your works. What a compliment to this. He's He's observing the church that's going through suffering, that's going through persecution, that's going through uncertainty, that's going through, I don't know what tomorrow will hold. And he's like, I know your works. I know that you haven't stopped serving me. I know it. I see your faithfulness to me and your continued ministry and faithfully advancing my work and my kingdom in the face of Roman opposition and Roman persecution. To every person here in 2020 who woke up to the government's mandates and to all of what 2020 began to unfold in the hearing of the ear, what politicians and everyone else were saying to our nation and to the world, there were those who heard God's voice and it was louder. It was just louder. And yeah, they dealt with fear 
and its certainty. And yeah, they might have gotten sick. And yeah, they might have lost loved ones. And, and, and yeah, there was all this chaos and all of the, the pressing in to conform and to fall in line. But there were those in those days of 2020 where the Lord would also say, I know. I not only know what you're going through, but I know your continued faithfulness to me because your faith in me is greater than the fear that's gripping everyone else. And that is why this church stayed open, because of the faithful that loved Jesus to the degree that he would work through them, not just in them. And that's the church of Smyrna. I know that. I see that. It moved the heart of Jesus. Pin this down, John. Let them know I see. And I know. And I know their poverty. What does that mean? I know what that cost you. I know what that cost you. To not fall in line with everyone else. To not bow a knee to the pressure of a government when everyone was bowing knee and kissing the ring of Caesar. I know what that costs you. I see it and I know it. How would that lift your soul to hear those words from Jesus? If you indeed had not bowed, if you indeed had continued to work on, if you indeed counted it as all loss for his gain, I know the ostracized, the shunned, the boycotted, the canceled. Jesus was well aware of the cost they were paying to stand for their king, King Jesus, and his kingdom in a fallen world. But in the midst of all of that, I, I, I see your, your poverty and what it's cost you, but I want you to know you're actually rich. In that sense, your gain, what you, what you gain, the spiritual riches, the depth of relationship you have with me because you've not taken your eyes off of me, the gain that you've experienced in your relationship with me, the gain that you have in peace when you sleep at night knowing you're in my will and you're in my hand. I know what that's like to lose something for the cost and the benefit of others, Jesus would say. It was Paul who would say in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, speaking of just where he was in eternity before he took on flesh, yet for your sakes he became poor. He took on flesh that you through his poverty might be made rich. Born in a borrowed cradle. Always used borrowed homes. Rode a borrowed donkey on his triumphal entry. Was buried in a borrowed tomb. 
He who made everything laid down everything for our gain. Jesus looks at this church and goes, I know. <laughs> I know. It's costing you. But the gain is worth it. The spiritual gain right now, and as we'll see, the eternal gain to come. It's just worth it. And I know. I know the blasphemy. Why does he, why does he come back to that? Why isn't in the, the, the list of other grievances? I believe it's because blasphemy, slander, is one of those things that's hard to shake. It just is. Especially when it's from people that you love and people that you know and people that you're connected to. Much like the church of Smyrna made up of mostly converted Jews. Jesus says, I know what it's like to be written off and slandered by your own. I know. I can relate. And it's hard to shake off. And how does he label this? I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are, are not. In other words, I know the source of this. It's coming from people who wear their kippahs. And they wear, the, they wear the, the clothes, the garments of God's people. They're Jews, but they're not acting like God's kids. They're acting like children of Satan himself. Keep it in perspective, people. That's how you can shake it. The deceiver, he's at work. The pastor moves his finger down a bit. Check this out, church. Ah. Right about now, I think, before he put his finger down, I'd be saying, oh, I know he's going to get to that point right now where Jesus goes, okay, you suffered long enough. Vengeance is mine, and I'm going to take it to him right now. Get ready for this. That's where I would be going right about now. But he doesn't go there. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. It's going to get worse. You're going to be tested. And you're going to have tribulation. It's got a shelf life, 10 days, but be faithful. Number one, keep your eyes on me. Number two, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Number three, focus on truth. It's true. Even future sorrow and suffering, if Jesus sees that in our future, he loves us enough to prepare us for that because there's a purpose in that. And then he identifies the source behind it. Understand, indeed, the devil is about to do this. Keep that in perspective as well. But here's the hope. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Notice Jesus doesn't say, look it, 
it's, I know you're already suffering. I know you're being persecuted. I know that it's cost you. You're just going to have to suck it up and deal with it. He doesn't say that. I've had a lot of people tell me that. He didn't do that. No, he, he's the one who has stepped into our world. So he doesn't say, you deal with it. By stepping into our world, the world and our world, he's saying, I'll deal with it. I got you. I know. I see. Trust me. He's the faithful companion who responds to us in all of our needs, whether they're emotional, physical, practical, spiritual, or eternal. I'll give you the crown of life. You be faithful unto death. Crowns. Crowns are they're symbols. They, they are a symbol of an achievement. They represent authority. We crowned in the Old Testament our kings, the high priests, golden crowns. In the Isthmus Games or the Olympian Games, the Olympics, those that won got a crown that was made out of an olive branch with, with leaves on it. They would weave that together and they would put that. It was a, a statement of an achievement. And in the New Testament, there's five crowns that are spoken of as it relates to believers and God recognizing what they do down here on earth. This is one of them. There's the amazing crown for those who win others to Christ. The crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is your hope or your, your joy? It's a crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Fascinating. There's a crown for those who endure persecution unto death. Just like these here. Paul talks about it in the first Corinthians 9.25, the imperishable crown. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for, uh, to obtain a perishable crown. But we, speaking of the, the race of life, as far as our faith, running this, this race for Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on him, we do it for an imperishable crown. It's a victor's crown. The Greek word stephanos. Number three, there's the crown for those, those leaders in the church that shepherd the flock of God the right way with the right heart. It's the crown of glory in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. It's the unfading crown of glory that when the chief shepherd appears, he will give to those who led the body of Christ the right way with the right heart. And then there's also a crown for those who live in the expectation of Christ's coming. Paul calls it the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. Then there's a crown of life. And James... James in James 1, 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to all of those who love him. And so when I read through these crowns and I think about what I do in leading, being a spiritual leader, think about what I do in just waiting for the, the appearance of Jesus to come back. I think about leading people to the Lord. When I think about these, 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 these crowns, the crown of, 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 of righteousness, the crown of just, I, I begin to think about my achievements. That's what crowns do. And I'm like, this is crazy. When I think about even a crown that I'm going to get to endure to the end, if I'm suffering and, and, and being persecuted, I'm like, he's going to recognize me for all of that? Fascinating. We'll get to chapter 4 soon in our Revelation studies. And it's kind of interesting. And there's this throne room setting. And around the throne room setting, what would you do with five crowns anyway? I'm wearing this crown today. What are you wearing, Lori? I don't know. You know uh, would it match what I'm wearing today? I don't know. But in Revelation chapter 4, we're gathered around the throne and we take all of our crowns and we throw them at Jesus' feet. Why? Because all the dots will finally connect and we'll realize anything I did, it was him working through me. And that's the word of encouragement to the church in Smyrna. That's the word of encouragement to anybody suffering right now. That's the word. And then you will not be hurt by the second death. What's that? <laughs> How many of you guys know we have victory over the first death? Some of you are like, what's that mean? That means when you and I as a believer, when we come to that last heartbeat, raise your hand if you believe you will have the last heartbeat one day. Some of you are not going to die. We need to talk. You need to come hang out at the graveyard with me when I'm doing some funerals. Very sobering to look around and go, we might be next. The second death. We have victory through the first death by the one who conquered death. 2 Corinthians 5, we'll put off these tents. As much as we think we won't, we will. As much as we look in the mirror and think, it's looking a little ragged, but it's going to endure. It won't. Come on, go with me there, people. I put myself out there. Go with me there. You be honest in front of your mirror tomorrow morning. You have it today. But the second death, as we'll look at that, we're looking through the book of Revelation, chapter 20 and 21, speaks of eternal death or eternal damnation. For those that reject Jesus. So hang on through your temporary sorrows and suffering and persecution. And you will have eternal life with me. And by the way, that's in heaven and not hell. Welcome to the church in Smyrna. He who has an ear to hear, 
a heart to receive, and a phone to turn off. <laughs> Tune in. Across America tomorrow, kids will have woke up from 16 years old to 5 years old. And they will have slept 8 to 9 hours. They will go to school 8 plus homework, if you're me, hours. And they will be on social media tomorrow 8 He or she who is a parent in this room, a grandparent in this room, a great-grandparent in this room, wake up and know there's a real enemy out there trying to rip off our kids. And there's a lot of adults who are suffering from that same addiction. This world is not our home. Pay attention to what's in front of you. You could barely keep up with the conversations in your house, the affairs of your house, your workplace. You don't need to keep up with everyone else's. Be a kingdom kid. Be eternally minded. Spend more time with him. The spirit has something to say to the church. So, Father, thank you for gracing us with these amazing words of exhortation and encouragement from your Son. Holy Spirit, thank you for still speaking these words of life and truth and hope to the church today. Thank you for how relative it is. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, your extended love, forgiveness today. For those of us here, those online that have yet to give their life to you. In your word it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that's you here or online, You've not come to God on his terms. You've not received his gift of salvation. You can do that right now. You might not know what to pray. You might not know what to say. But say this, if you mean this to God. Say these words, Father, I, I recognize I'm, I'm a sinner. And I need you to forgive me. I recognize I need salvation. I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. And so I need you to save me. And I realize you gave your son Jesus to die on that cross for me. And so say to Jesus right now, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. And I ask you right now to 
come into my life and be my personal Savior and Lord. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. And thank him. If you've prayed that prayer and you've you meant that and you said it to him, thank him and you keep talking to him. Thank you for being such a faithful husband to your bride, the church. Thank you for being such an amazing shepherd to your flock, Calvary La Habra. Thank you for your faithfulness to the church globally. Even to those going through unimaginable suffering and persecution on this planet right now. May they and may we keep our eyes focused on you. May it be a season where you, Holy Spirit, are speaking to us. May this Awakening in our souls, grow to revival in our life. May it be so, individually, corporately, and may this church experience one more time a revival that would bring you glory. Until you come back for us, here, there, in the air, we can't wait to see you accomplish this work. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen.